In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. With your permission, my Lord Jesus Christ, every time we come together here to pray an evening of recollection like this, the, let's remember that the, the goal is identification with Christ. It's not to, I don't know, enhance our awareness of doctrinal uh, issues or, or even just sort of, sort of feel good. <laughs> we want to identify ourselves with you, Jesus. So let's uh, enter into this yeah. silence, really, to, to listen to our Lord, who is constantly teaching us. And we, of course, go, go to the gospel to encounter Jesus in a wonderful way, just like those friends of his encountered him when he walked upon this earth. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O men of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? We can relate to these apostles in our own lives. The seas can be pretty stormy, the seas of life. The winds tend to push push us around a bit. And it can be frightening. And here, these are weathered fishermen, to be sure. This was their profession. These apostles of Jesus, they must have been in storms before. But this one, quite significant for them to say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now, that's a good lesson for us, I think, in the storms of life that we face. We can't do it alone. Jesus, you told us, without me, you can do nothing. Do I go to the Lord, reach out to the Lord, as I feel the winds of of opposition coming my way, the troubles of life? So in this meditation, let's consider the trust that we should have in God, that God is always with us. And and he wants us us to have faith. And as St. Josemarie would say, to have an operative faith. If we really have faith, it should affect the way we go about our daily lives and the way we face troubles. Do I count on the Lord's help when the storms of life come my way? And he's not promising us it'll be easy. That's not, the, that's not Christianity, a comfortable life. No, that's not what our Lord promises. He's, he promises, I will be with you always to the end of the age. That's his promise. And he says, if you wish to be my disciple, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. And so some of these storms, like we see in this gospel scene, 
that will come our way in life. And that's an opportunity for us to put into practice what we say we believe, that God loves me, that God is always with me. I won't fall into despair. Lord, I need you. And a similar scene, of course, in fact, we had it in the gospel today, the mass, when our Lord walks to them at night on the water. The apostles are low in the boat in this case, and, and our Lord at night is walking toward them, and they're afraid. Once again, they're afraid. What is it, a ghost? What is and, and the Lord identifies himself, and, and Peter says, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you. And, and Jesus says, come. Come, Peter. And Peter starts to walk on the water. He's going to the Lord. Yeah, good for him. He stepped out of that boat, onto the water, walking to the Lord. That's, that's a sign of faith. That's an operative faith, you could say. Now, as we know, the winds start to pick up there too, and, and the waves start to uh, seem dangerous, and, and well, Peter starts to sink. Maybe he wavered in his faith a bit. Maybe, really, is this really true? Is, is this really Jesus? And so he starts to sink. And he does the right thing. Lord, save me, he calls out. <laughs> then say, well, I, I can handle this on my own. I'm a fisherman. I've been in this situation before. I, I don't need anyone. No, that, that would be absurd. He, Lord, save me. And we too, we, we, in those exact words or others, or even without words, but just from the heart, Lord, we, we ask you for, uh, for, your, for your salvation. Be with me. And help me to remember, like St. Paul, I can do all things in he who strengthens me. No matter what the, the situation seems to present. Again, our Lord doesn't promise us a life of comfort. I mean, we see that in the lives of the saints, don't we? Especially in the lives of the martyrs. But they had this knack. The saints, again, the martyrs, they, they had this way of... of uh, accepting the cross, and not just accepting it, but really of embracing it, identifying themselves with Christ through their sufferings. Today is the feast day of St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, a great saint, of course, Edith Stein, Jewish girl, began her studies, had intellectual gifts, she, gravi she gravitated toward the study of philosophy and became a pupil of the renowned professor Edmund Husserl in 1913. Through her studies, the non-religious Edith met several Christians whose intellectual and spiritual lives she admired. She'd even come to the point of having expressed herself as an atheist, basically. But she was... In the midst of these you know, colleagues, later friends, Christians, and she was moved by their mother, well, their, their authenticity, their intellectual lives and their spiritual lives. After earning her degree with the highest honors from Göttingen University in 1915, she served as a nurse in the Austrian field hospital during World War I. She returned to academic work in 1916, earning her doctorate after writing a highly regarded thesis 
on the phenomenon of empathy. She remained interested in the idea of religious commitment, but had not yet made such a commitment herself. Oh, good for her. There's a certain honesty that the way she was going about her life, she was aware of this religious life, these religious lives around her being lived out, and she paid attention. She didn't just write it off. She was leaving an opening, whether she realized or not. She was leaving an opening for God to step into her life. Remember, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's, Lord, we want you to enter our lives, so help us to be humble. Help us to realize we don't have all the answers. And Lord, you, you, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. In 1921, while visiting friends, Edith spent an entire night reading the autobiography of the 16th century Carmelite nun, St. Teresa of Avila. When I had finished the book, she later recalled, I said to myself, this is the truth. She was baptized into the Catholic Church on January 1st, 1922. Edith intended to join the Carmelites immediately after her conversion, but would ultimately have to wait another 11 years before taking this step. That's good, too, to see the honesty of her conversion. Whatever, in a sense, whatever you want, God. I mean, obviously, the Holy Spirit was touching her soul, and she allowed that to happen. It, she was willing to be called to, the, in this case, the life of a religious. We saw that, that, that calling, the truth for her in that calling. In 1933, the rise of Nazism combined with Edith's Jewish ethnicity put an end to her teaching career. After a painful parting with her mother, who did not understand her Christian conversion, she entered a Carmelite convent in 1934 taking the name Teresa Benedicta of the Cross as a symbol of her acceptance of suffering. Almost, was there some sort of a premonition of sorts? Maybe the Lord showed her something in a way, but she was willing to suffer. Christianity, yes, involves suffering. The symbol of our faith is the cross, Jesus on the the, cruci the crucified one there on the cross. I felt, she wrote, that those who understood the cross of Christ should take upon themselves on everybody's behalf. She saw it as her vocation to intercede with God for everyone. I asked the Lord to accept my life and my death, she wrote in 1939, so that the Lord will be accepted by his people and that his kingdom may come in glory for the salvation of Germany and the peace of the world. She's, she's out of herself. She's not focused in on herself. She really has a, a sense of, there are things that are bigger than me. I want to pray for that. And, and she, I'm willing to suffer for that.
After completing her final work, a study of St. John of the Cross, titled The Science of the Cross, Teresa Benedicta was arrested along with her sister Rosa, who had also become a Catholic, and the members of her religious community on August 7, 1942. The arrest came in retaliation against a protest letter by the Dutch bishops decrying the Nazi treatment of Jews. St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross died in the concentration camp at Auschwitz on August 9, 1942. St. John Paul II canonized her in 1998 and proclaimed her a co-patroness of Europe the next year. Indeed, sometimes the storms of life can be quite, uh, quite vicious, really. This probably won't be our fate, that we die for the faith. It could be. And Lord, give me the strength, if that be the case. Give me the strength to be faithful and to see the, 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 the supernatural value of that, the, the reality of that, like, like a, a person like St. Teresa and Benedict of the Cross, who accepted that suffering that came her way, and now she's in heaven, and now she's interceding for us as we make this time of prayer. Indeed, our Lord, our Lord is always with us, and He wants us, like those apostles in the boat, and other times He wants us to have faith, to realize that it truly is God who overcomes all things. God who's always guiding our lives along. We just had the Feast of the Transfiguration on Sunday. The traditional understanding of that, St. Louis the Great describes it in one of his sermons, the great reason for this transfiguration was to remove the scandal of the cross from the hearts of his disciples and to prevent the humiliation of his voluntary suffering from disturbing the faith of those who had witnessed the surpassing glory that lay concealed. Those three apostles saw Jesus transfigured. He is truly the divine one. He is God. Peter was taken aback. Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let's just stay here. Let us build three tents for you and Moses and Elijah. But that was not the plan. They do go back to, well, of course, God the Father speaks. This is my beloved Son in whom I will please listen to him. It's a great lesson for the apostles and for us there. But they don't stay up on that Mount Tabor, the glory of Mount Tabor at that moment. They go back down, and they go back into the fray of everyday life. In fact, they go down, down below, and there's already a bit of, I don't know, a little bit of a storm going on. A man comes to Jesus, hey, I, I asked your disciples here to cast this demon out, out of my son, the, the disciples who were not there on Mount Tabor, and they couldn't do it. Lord, save my son. And our Lord does. He, he casts out the demon. And then the apostles, in their humility, they approach Jesus afterward and say, Lord, why couldn't we do it? They've done it before. And they, remember how they come back rejoicing after the Lord had sent them out? They come back rejoicing. We've you know, cast out demons, and, you know, given sight to the blind. Or they, 
But this time, must have been humbling in a way for those disciples. But they asked the Lord, why could we not do it? And, and our Lord says, this type can be cast out only with much prayer and fasting. And there's a secret to our life too. Yes, trust in the Lord, faith in Jesus, but I need to pray and I, and I need to fast, live sacrifice. I want, Lord, I do want to help souls. So help me to be a mortified soul for you and for, for the good of those around me, to be willing to sacrifice for the conversion of sinners. Again, if you, our Lord said, if you wish and to be my disciple, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. Or, of course, in the Gospel of St. John, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you become a grain of wheat and fall into the ground and die, you, can, you, you, you cannot have life. You cannot give life. You cannot bear fruit. Well, Lord, help me to be willing to be that grain of wheat that falls into the earth and dies in order to bear fruit. And all this, again, very united to you, Jesus. I, without, so how true. Without, if I'm not with you, Lord, I, I can do nothing. So how is my life of prayer? How's my friendship with Jesus? My intimacy with Jesus? Do I really, I, do I trust him? Do I, do I talk to him? Do I worship him? He is God. Peter, James, John, they, they saw the transfigured Jesus. They, they, they worshiped him, rightly so. Do I worship Jesus? And then, yes, again, we try to follow him, which is the way of the cross. For Blessed Alvaro de Portillo is, the, of course, the, uh, the, the father of, of Opus Dei the, the, after St. Josemaria passed away. And um, in, in one of his homilies, actually was in the Holy Land, is after he'd celebrated Mass on Mount Tabor, he, um, he said, why do you think, why would it be that the Lord took those apostles up that mountain and transfigured himself? And we've, again, we've heard the, con the traditional reason that the church, the church fathers give, okay, so they wouldn't be scandalized when they see him dying on the cross. They could remember, oh, but I've seen his true glory, so I'm not going to lose faith here. That's but Blessed Alvo said also, it, it would help them to see, and he said, entre por los ojos in Spanish, they enter through the eyes. They would clearly see that to get there, to get to Mount Tabor, to be with the glorified Christ, we, it takes effort. We have to go up that mountain. And, and, he, and while he was there, he, I think they drew, he was 80 years old at the time, and they drove a car up, you know, most of the way to be. But then there's still some steps to go. And you know, he, had, he had a, Blessed Alvaro had to go up those, uh, that, that last section. Yeah, yeah, indeed, it's a good lesson there. To, for us to reach God, yeah, we have to make that effort. But with a great, uh, a great uh, joy and, again, willingness to, to pick up the cross.
at the Met Museum in Manhattan, uh, there's an image of Christ carrying the cross by El Greco, 1580. And a gentleman named Stephen F. Auth has written a book. It's called Pilgrimage to the Museum. And he goes through a lot of the paintings, mostly from the Met, some from other museums. But he gives a little description, a little background to these paintings or sculptures or whatnot. And, and well, the subtitle of the book is Man's Search for God Through Art and Time. In fact, he starts with the Egyptians. They, every man has it in his heart to, to seek God, whether they realize it or not. Well, of course, by 1580, we have a lot of Christian art and, and many centuries before. But in any case, in this, he comments on this painting of Christ carrying the cross by El Greco. And, he, and if you ever have a chance to, to see it in the Lehman Gallery, I, I highly recommend it. Shortly after his arrival in Toledo, El Greco produced this moving, inspirational image of Christ carrying the cross. It would prove to be one of several cross images he would paint during his subsequent long career based in the city of Toledo. Despite the gruesome subject matter, <laughs> Lord carrying his cross, right? Perhaps we've seen you know, depictions of that in movies or whatnot. It's gruesome. Despite the gruesome subject matter and dark foreboding storm clouds in the sky behind Christ, there is something about this painting that simply exudes hope and even joy. Jesus' slender hands don't just carry the cross, they seem to embrace it. In fact, the Lord embraces it with his whole body. The cross itself does not appear to be the ridiculously heavy tool of torture that it most surely was, but looks almost like two sticks of balsam wood that our Lord seems to carry effortlessly. And interestingly, the cross is thrust upward toward heaven and victory, not downward toward earth and defeat. and Christ's eyes. There is a pensive sorrow here as Christ contemplates the sins of man for whom he carries his cross. But there's also joy, maybe even tears of joy, as he looks upward to his Father in heaven and contemplates the salvation of God's people. Indeed, perhaps you've seen other uh, Paintings of El Greco, too, he has that nag for the eyes, or sort of a, uh, uh, a, a bright, bright eyes that are that, that, that sort of draw the view right, right there, right to the eyes of Christ. And there's hope, joy in those eyes of Christ, a, a, as he carries the cross. Do I find a certain joy in uniting myself to Christ? When, I carry, when I'm asked to carry the cross, when the cross has come my way? Or do I complain? I give up hope? Do I get angry with the world or even with God? Now, Lord, help me to have faith. Jesus, yes, keep calling me like you called Peter, come to me. Seems impossible. 
No, Peter got out there. He started to walk on the water. In our own spiritual way, maybe we have to be willing to walk on the water a bit. And realize that that's precisely where we, what Christ will be asking us to help a lot of those souls, those needy souls around us. And for that matter, our own, our own soul. But again, this is a faith, an operative faith. It's not just a nice idea. It can come up in different ways, sometimes dramatic ways. June 2nd, 1995, Captain Scott F. O'Grady, Air Force pilot, is down behind enemy lines in Bosnia. Perhaps you remember that story. He had to hide himself under brush and whatnot. He was well-trained. Of course, the enemy knows there's a plane that's been down. Maybe even saw the parachute, his parachute coming down. But you know, he knew they were going to be coming after him. So he, you know, he was in hiding six days. Until on June 8th, uh, Marines found him. He would be able to send up a, a signal just at a specific time when he knew they'd be flying overhead. He wanted to send the signal a lot. The enemy could catch, pick up on it, but he, he was he was rescued. Captain O'Grady credited his faith, his training, and the heroic Marines for bringing him home. The first thing I want to do is thank God. If it wasn't for God's love for me and my love for God, I wouldn't be here. He said at a press conference uh, and at an air base in Aviano, Italy. When I was out there, I heard all your prayers. I heard them loud and clear. He told the cheering crowd June 11th at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland. Born in Brooklyn, New York in 1965, O'Grady grew up in Spokane where he attended the Catholic grade school. And the first thing I want to do is thank God. Yes, of course, God, we, 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 we get down. You know? We have our crashes at times, but I, Lord, I trust in you. And Lord, I thank you for all people praying for me. Let's remember that too, the communion of saints. The saints in heaven, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, and all the others praying for us as we face the storms of life. Our Lord, in a certain sense, our Lord commands us to have hope. Oh, ye of little faith, he says. Why did you doubt? Well, Jesus, I trust in you. Well, let's ask our Blessed Mother Mary to help us maintain the faith, to have an operative faith, to always have hope. Because again, yes, we'll see things that are disturbing, that We'll, we'll experience in a certain way the crucifixion of our Lord, and it's, it can be daunting. It can seem hopeless in a way. And, of course, we know the scene of our Blessed Mother and St. John at the foot of the cross in John's Gospel, how Jesus says to Mary, Behold your son. And then he says to 
St. John, behold your mother. So we understand there that Jesus is offering us, because we're represented by John, a, a wonderful mother in, in Mary. And, and, and St. John writes, and from that moment, the disciple took her into his own home. He took her into his life. Mary, he became Marian. And tradition holds that St. John cared for Mary. St. Joseph would already have passed away. But that phrase of Jesus to St. John, behold your mother. I mean, he's on the cross dying. And he's saying to her, don't look at, essentially, he's saying, don't look at me, behold your son. Look at John. And likewise, he's saying to John, look at your son. I'm sorry, look at your mother, look at your mother. And maybe that helped John at that moment to maintain his faith. If he looks up at Jesus, what is he going to see? Wow, he's tortured, he's, he's bloody, he's, people are jeering at him, he's about to die. Is he really divine? Maybe he forgot a bit about the transfiguration that he had seen. So Jesus, behold your mother. Maybe that helped John in his faith to look at Mary and her beauty. Yes, her faith, she was a woman of faith at the foot of the cross, but she's also the Immaculate One. She, if anyone, can image the transfiguration. She's without sin. She's the mother of Jesus. If anyone is going to come anything close to reminding St. John of the transfiguration, it's Mary. Behold your mother. So maybe Jesus is saying that to us too. We have a just a, a moment of difficulty or even a lack of faith. Behold your mother. Look how beautiful she is. Look at her faith. She can help you. She, and what does Mary want for us? She just wants to bring us to Christ. She doesn't want anything for herself. She wants us to be drawn to the sacred heart of Christ. Let's count on our mother's help in that way and thank her for that help. And, and like Jesus depicted in that painting in the, at the Met, you know, to, to be willing to carry our own cross, but with, you know, with joy. <laughs> yeah? Not with resignation. St. Josemaria says resignation is not a generous word, but to embrace the cross, to, 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 to carry it you know, upright. Yeah, it's like lifting us to heaven if we're willing to, well, yes, to suffer with Christ, to embrace the cross, and to find our life precisely in his sacred heart. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.